What is going on, mere mortals? My name is John Solo, and welcome to another episode of the Messed Up Origins Podcast's annual Spoopathon. Today, I'm giving you both tricks and treats because the story we're covering really did happen. The people that you're going to hear about were all real, and the events are even substantiated with sound recordings, which I'll be showing you later. The tricksy part of this story lies with the cause of its events. Was today's subject, Annalise Michelle, really possessed by the devil, or was her condition simply caused by an abnormality in her brain? Did her parents and priests really gaslight and abuse her to death, or was she actually chosen by our Lord and Savior to suffer for our sins? These are the questions that I'm going to try to answer today, in addition to drawing some comparisons to the famous film this story inspired, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, aka the movie So Scary that when I just saw the trailer at the age of 10, I had to sleep on my sister's floor for a few months because I was too afraid to be alone in my room at night. Pathetically enough, that's a true story. Chapter 1. The Possession So just like any story that's not written by Tarantino, let's start this one at the very beginning, when Annalise Michelle was born on September 21st, 1952 in Bavaria, West Germany. Her father Joseph was described as emotionally vacant but caring, and her mother Anna was said to be strict and extremely religious. Anna was a devout Catholic all her life, and with the help of her husband, she forced these beliefs on her daughters, Annalise, Roswitha, Gertrude, and Barbara. Annalise also had an older sister who's not pictured, Martha, who died at the age of eight from kidney failure. It's believed that her death pushed her mother Anna to even more extreme Catholic practices. One such practice involved forcing her children to sleep on hard wooden floors in the middle of winter without a blanket. See, it was her belief that people couldn't atone for their own sins and others were required to suffer and make sacrifices on their behalf to save them from burning in hell. Now keep in mind, there were no religious figures of that day telling them they had to do that, at least not official ones. But the Michelle family rejected any and all reforms the Vatican put into place and operated with some very antiquated, some might even say medieval beliefs that were held by religious fringe groups. So between regularly going through these extreme trials under the orders of her mother, attending mass twice a week, studying Roman and Latin languages so she could read even older Christian texts, young Annalise's spongy, developing brain soaked up every bit of her mother's religious fervor. Then, in the year 1968, when Annalise was 16, she had her first incident. She completely blacked out in the middle of class and had a seizure. Some sources say she had convulsions, while others claim she appeared dazed, almost as if she was in a trance. Either way, she did eventually stop seizing and didn't appear to have any adverse side effects, at least not at first. A year later, in 1969, Annalise experienced a second seizure. She woke up in the middle of the night feeling like she had a heavy weight on her chest and couldn't physically move or breathe, and she ended up wetting the bed. Now, this event was considerably more terrifying to Annalise, presumably because she was actually awake to experience it. So she was taken to a neurologist, and after hearing her symptoms, he diagnosed her with temporal lobe epilepsy, a disorder that causes seizures, loss of memory, and the affected to have both visual and auditory hallucinations. After receiving this diagnosis, Annalise is given medication to combat the epilepsy, but we're not sure how much it helped. Some sources, the ones who tend to lean into the possession aspect of the story, usually claim the meds did nothing, but the more skeptical sources say they had to have helped at least a little. After all, she was able to graduate high school, get into college, and maintain her relationships all while on the meds. That being said, she did continue having seizures and hallucinations, and to make matters worse, at one point she contracted diversity tuberculosis, and pneumonia. As a result, she had to spend a few weeks mostly isolated in a sanatorium, a type of medical facility that 
was used before the discovery of antibiotics to house patients who are chronically ill or recovering from serious illnesses. Annalise's family said that when she returned home from the sanatorium, her personality had changed. She was much quicker to anger, could hear voices telling her that she was damned and going to rot in hell whenever she prayed, and she claimed that she could see demonic faces everywhere. At one point, she also appeared to develop an aversion to religious objects. Although she could and did continue reading her Christian text, she avoided being near any crucifixes or looking directly at portraits of Jesus. In fact, it was this avoidant behavior that caused the woman who oversaw a religious pilgrimage Annalise went on to believe the girl was possessed. She was unable to enter the shrine. She approached it with the greatest hesitation, then said that the soil burned like fire and she simply could not stand it. She also noted that she could no longer look at medals or pictures of saints. They sparkled so immensely that she could not stand it. Annalise did continue seeking medical treatment throughout this time and was prescribed a variety of medications, but nothing would quiet the symptoms entirely. So the poor girl became increasingly convinced that her illness was of a spiritual nature and ultimately completely stopped taking her meds. However, when she and her family sought out religious authorities who could help her, they kept turning her down and directing her toward mental health specialists. See, at this point, the year was 1975. The exorcist movie had just released in Germany in 1974, and since then there had been a major increase in people seeking help for demonic possession, so the church had no choice but to respond to these people with skepticism. Eventually, though, Annalise and her mother do manage to locate a priest, Ernst Alt, who does believe she's possessed, and he gets permission from Bishop Joseph Stangl to have another local priest, Arnold Renz, perform Annalise's very first exorcism. Chapter 2. The Exorcism now, by the time this first exorcism goes down, Annalise's symptoms are completely out of control to the point where when she has an episode, it's like she really is a completely different person. Under the influence of demons, she would rip off her clothes, eat spiders and coal, crawl under the table and bark like a dog. She bit the head off a dead bird and even licked her own urine off the floor. And as horrifying as all of that is, the behavior that freaks me out the most is that she would squat 400 times a day. And by that, I don't mean that she just Really enjoyed leg day. Annalise would slam down on her knees in a praying position over and over and over again, to the point where she broke both her kneecaps and seriously damaged her tendons, but the pain never caused her to stop. There's also reports that Annalise would utter religious phrases in Latin, which is apparently the native tongue of all demons of horror films or anything to go by. But this behavior is considerably less concerning when you realize that she literally read and studied Christian texts written in Latin all the time, so it's not like she was speaking in a language she didn't know. The first of Annalise's exorcisms would take place on September 24th, 1975. And while we don't know exactly what went down, Wren stated that each of the 67 exorcisms he performed lasted between one and four hours. During these exorcisms, the demons would communicate to Renz through Annalise in a low goblin-like growl, and he learned there were six demons inside of her. Cain of Cain and Abel infamy, Judas Iscariot, Adolf Hitler, Nero, a disgraced local priest named Fleischmann who died centuries prior, and even Lucifer himself. This revelation is depicted in what's probably the most famous and terrifying scene in the exorcism of Emily Rose. Lucifer, the devil in the flesh.
You want to know the craziest part of that scene? It's not even as scary as listening to the real tapes. Before you hear them though, you should know that each and every one of these exorcisms was physically and mentally brutal for Annalise to go through. She was restrained on several occasions using ropes and chains. There's photos of family members holding her down. And as time went on, she began starving herself. So by the end of the 67 exorcisms, Annalise was almost unrecognizable. I do want to emphasize though that her family and the priests were all acting under her orders. The treatment she went through was voluntary because she believed that she was suffering so others could be forgiven for their sins. Anyway, now that they've been properly built up, here are some highlights of the real exorcism tapes. And to think that what you just heard is only a drop in the ocean compared to what's on the tapes that haven't been released to the public. The final exorcism of Annalise Michelle took place on June 30th, 1976. And at that point, she had been enduring one or two of these sessions every week for the past 10 months. She weighed only 68 pounds, her knees were broken, she was covered in bruises and couldn't even walk without help. But still, she voluntarily did this on behalf of all the sinners in the world. Unfortunately, we don't have the details about what exactly happened during that last exorcism, but the next morning, Annalise Michelle had died of malnutrition and dehydration at the age of 23. That is not where the story ends though, because Annalise's death attracted a ton of spotlight from the media. There were people out there who wanted justice for this young girl and others who just wanted answers. In the end though, no one was given any jail time. Two years later, in March of 1978, all four defendants were found guilty of manslaughter resulting from negligence and were sentenced to six months in jail. But those sentences were suspended and they were only given three years of probation instead. Hard to know how to feel about that one. Honestly, I think Annalise would say they don't deserve any punishment at all, but she also ate spiders and licked her piss off the floor. So I can't help but wonder what a healthy version of her would think of all this. Chapter three, mental, physical, or spiritual. When it comes to Annalise's story, there is a huge variety of nuanced opinions that people have about it. I think that pretty much everyone can agree that it's a sad story, but how sad depends on who you believe. Annalise or the medical professionals. Because those who take Annalise's word about her possession to heart don't believe she died for nothing. They have faith in the idea that she was chosen by the powers that be to suffer on behalf of the sinners and her generation. And those people see her as a hero. However, anyone who doesn't find to the religious spiritual explanations are pretty disgusted with the whole thing. Similar to the court system, they consider Annalise a victim of negligence by her parents and priests, the very people she trusted to take care of her. When it comes to my own 
opinion, I'm a little torn. On the one hand, I've had enough psychedelic experiences to know that I don't know anything about what's possible in the realm of spirituality, so I don't want to rule that option out entirely. That being said, when you consider how intensely Annalise's mother imprinted her religious beliefs on her daughter and look more into the diagnoses she was given by the doctors, it makes logical sense to me that her symptoms manifested how they did. Full disclosure, I am definitely not a doctor, so my opinion isn't actually worth much, but just hear me out if you will. Let's start with the initial diagnosis of temporal lobe epilepsy. For those who don't know, one of the main symptoms is seizures occurring in the temporal lobe of the brain, which processes short-term memory and emotions like euphoria, deja vu, or fear. Seizures can manifest in several different ways, and the affected isn't always aware when they happen. Sometimes they go completely unconscious while their body makes repetitive jerky movements, and other times they remain partially aware but still have no control. Temporal lobe epilepsy is actually a pretty common form of epilepsy, but even to this day, it's very rare for any meds to cure the symptoms entirely. So Annalise's medication supposedly not working could really just mean it didn't work enough to satisfy her. There are numerous causes for the condition too, with one of the most common being scarring on the temporal lobe that could have been caused by Annalise receiving a head injury when she was young and not realizing it. Which is understandable, considering this was decades ago when we knew way less about traumatic brain injuries and how seriously they can mess a person up. It's also possible that she had frontotemporal lobar degeneration, which can result in something called Geschwind syndrome, a condition that causes hyperreligiosity and irritability, two of Annalise's most prominent symptoms. Another factor worth considering is that according to a 1997 study that was published in the Oxford Academic, it was found that a person with epilepsy has a higher likelihood of developing schizophrenia. Additionally, those with schizophrenia are much likelier to have seizures. Like I said, I'm not a doctor and I certainly don't want to misrepresent the conditions that I'm talking about, but when you consider the usual symptoms of schizophrenia, delusions, hallucinations, social withdrawal, disorganized ways of thinking and speaking, it really does line up with Annalise's behavior. Not to mention that according to a 2017 study published in the European Journal of Neuropsychopharmacology, big word, the risk of experiencing religious delusions was significantly increased in individuals with a strong religious affiliation compared to those who had no religious background. Meaning that Annalise being so incredibly Christian absolutely could have caused her hallucinations and delusions to resemble the Christian idea of possession, whether that's seeing demonic faces when looking at strangers or believing that being near a crucifix would cause her physical pain. Chapter 4. Who is to blame? So to reiterate the story so far, we have an extremely religious young girl with at least one illness, possibly more, that directly affected her brain, and those illnesses did not have a definitive cure, which is terrifying. This girl, who was taught by her devoutly religious mother that her pain allowed others to get into heaven, no doubt sought religion as a comfort while she battled with this mysterious and scary illness that only continued to get worse despite medical treatment. In my opinion, it would have been perfectly natural for her to think, you know, I've tried all these medications, they've done a ton of tests on me and nothing is working. Maybe that's because this isn't physical at all. Maybe it's spiritual like my mama taught me. Then when you factor in those two priests who conducted the exorcisms and how much trust Annalise would have put into their word, she had those beliefs reinforced and then started being treated like she was possessed. Not just by the priests, mind you, but also her family, her friends, and eventually the entire community after word got out that she was undergoing exorcisms. Put yourself in her position, whether you're mentally ill or not, when everyone you come across starts treating you that way, you're going to believe 
believe it. And it's been proven time and time again throughout history that when humans really believe in themselves, they can do some incredible and horrible things. Don't get me wrong, doing squats on broken knees and licking your own urine off the floor are pretty damn horrible, but as far as Annalise knew, that's the kind of stuff that possessed people did. At least according to The Exorcist, which coincidentally came out in Germany the same year her symptoms took a turn for the worse. I wanna be clear that I'm not saying Annalise made the conscious decision to just mimic The Exorcist, but it's possible that after seeing it, she had their concept of possession implanted into her subconscious, and when she had her episodes, she'd more or less acted out. Another extremely important factor to consider is that at a certain point, Annalise completely stopped eating and drinking, so she ultimately died of malnutrition and dehydration, the symptoms of which can cause serious hallucinations and delusions. So by the end, her perception of reality was being assaulted on every front mentally because of her illness, spiritually from the priests, and physically because of her refusal to eat, not to mention how brutal these exorcisms were on her. I mean, you all saw the pictures and heard the audio, and that's only a tiny, tiny fraction of the 67 exorcisms she endured over the course of those 10 months. Actually, now that I say that, I don't think I needed to dive so deep into the medical side of things, because the fact that she went through 67 exorcisms that didn't cure her proves one of two things. One, she was never possessed at all, but rather a scared, mentally ill young girl who put her trust into the wrong people, or two, those priests were the shittiest exorcists of all time. How is it that after 10 failed exorcisms, neither of them stopped for a second and thought, maybe this isn't what's best for her, or at the very least, maybe we're doing this wrong. Nah, that can't possibly be it. Let's put the 70 pound, 23 year old in chains and start screaming religious doctrine at her. It hasn't helped yet, but maybe it will if we do it 57 more times. I'll be honest, as much as I like to stay neutral and keep an open mind, I can't help being furious at those two jagaloons for the abuse they put Annalise through. Her mother and father are obviously at fault as well for letting the exorcisms go for as long as they did, but I understand that at a certain point, they were just scared parents looking for answers, and it was really up to the priest to stay unbiased in their assessments. Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast. We're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So don't forget to sacrifice the five-star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods to make sure they bless your feed with more mythological and folklore content. If you have any thoughts on this episode you'd like to share, like if you really enjoyed it or are dying to correct my pronunciation of something, hit me up under the Messed Up Origins handles on Twitter and Instagram. And to those who are craving more Messed Up Origins, feel free to check out other episodes episodes of the podcast or look up my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo and don't forget, John shot first. <laughs>